Welcome to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay, fitting it all together to make teaching and learning in the junior grades more accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host, teacher by day, mom of three, and curriculum creator of all the things from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. If you are a teacher who's teaching junior grades between grade four and grade six, then you are in the right spot because we are talking all about junior grade strategies for leveling up your science lessons. So in this workshop today, I'm going to show you how you can use inquiry-based learning and universal design specifically in science lessons so that by the end of our workshop today, which is about an hour, you're going to learn some ideas for what types of lessons you can use that go beyond basic read and respond worksheets. We're going to try to get you out of the rut that sometimes happens when we are planning the same lesson over and over again, and we're going to look at some different and creative ways that you can level up your science. But this is your time. So you have given yourself about the hour for this workshop. So I want you to grab a notebook and paper, flick that little do not disturb button on your phone so that you are not sidetracked by other things. Put on some headphones and really give yourself time because we have a lot that we're covering today. And I do want to let you know that there is a bonus. So for those of you that are here live with me today, I do have a special bonus for you and I'm going to send that to you. I'm going to let you know how you're going to be able to redeem that by the end. And it's all about the unit planning and brainstorming and it's a template to get those creative juices flowing, kind of get you thinking about different things that you can do to add a bit more variety in your science lessons. But the big question is, why are you here? A lot of you might be here if you're feeling bored or your science is currently feeling a little bit uninspired or maybe you even feel lost and you're not really sure where to start. Well, you're definitely in the right place. So go ahead and in the comments right now, let me know which one you're maybe feeling more of. Are you feeling more bored, uninspired or lost? And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Patty, and I have been a teacher for over 13 years, and I am also the teacher author behind MadlyLearning.com. And over the last eight years, I have helped thousands of teachers implement an inquiry-based learning pedagogy in their junior classrooms. But I'm also a busy mom of three, which means that we can do all of that, but it has to be efficient and effective, and it cannot take a ton of extra time. Now, one of the things you need to know about me is in my classroom, I tend to not use a lot of boring workbooks or textbooks when I'm teaching in science. And I also actually have quite a bit of free time to spend with my family because I don't spend a lot of time after school hours consumed by the work that is required for my job. That doesn't mean that I leave everything at three o'clock. There's definitely still things that I do in after school hours, but I try not to let it consume me. And this is exactly why I wanted to talk to you today about how to level up your science, because it's not just about doing more. It's about doing things differently so that it doesn't take you any more time and planning than you might currently be doing. Because I do believe firmly that you can have a fun, engaging, and rigorous science program that is both easy to plan, prep, and run. Now, 
I am a big proponent. If you have been following me for a while, you know that I am a big advocate of inquiry-based learning. And I do believe that it is one of the best strategies to use in your science program. And it is easy for the teacher, believe it or not, I'm gonna tell you how. And it also works for all students, regardless of skill or ability. Now, a few of you might be saying, no, inquiry is definitely hard. And some of my kids don't get it. They're not ready for it. But I'm gonna challenge that for you today. And I'm going to show you a way that inquiry can be accessible for all students, regardless of where they have to be starting right now. So what is it we're going to be doing today? First, we're going to look specifically at what inquiry does look like and how it is different from the junior grades. If you Google inquiry, you're going to get a lot of kindergarten resources. We're not talking about kindergarten type inquiry learning. We're talking about what inquiry based learning looks like in the junior grades, and it is different. Then we're going to look at how you start off your unit and learning and how we can get students engaged in what we are doing. Then we're going to talk about the different strategies that are going to make your science classroom interactive and hands on. And we're going to look at how we can flip what we're doing in our class so that we can move away from passive learners and move into more active learners in our classroom. And finally, we're going to talk about how to put it all together and actually plan out that unit. So first, what exactly does inquiry look like in the junior grades? Well, first, we have to acknowledge that the junior grades is definitely a transition phase for students. We are moving from primary, where there is a lot of learning how to read, how to do things. They're still learning a lot of basic fundamental skills. And then we move on to high school and intermediate students in seven, eight, all the way to 12, and they're doing a lot more analysis. And when we look at the junior grades, these are kids in transition. It is our job as junior teachers to get them from primary to intermediate. And there is a lot of things that we can do that are going to get them through that phase. Now, it also requires a lot of junior students are learning how to research. Instead of just learning how to read, now we're asking them to read something and then make sense of it and make meaning of it. And this is a big, huge task of junior learners. And this is why inquiry-based learning is really fundamental because that is kind of the point of inquiry as we are getting students to not just learn and regurgitate, but we want them to begin to analyze and interpret the information that they are reading and make sense of it. So we have the stages of inquiry. Inquiry goes through different stages and this can happen in both the whole unit as a whole but it also can happen in smaller pieces in the very specific lessons that you're doing you don't necessarily need to always have an inquiry unit you can actually have an inquiry lesson or mini lesson and it always starts and follows this phase first we start with the engage phase this is where we are engaging our students and getting them interested and in sparking that point of curiosity, because that's really where we're starting with inquiries. We're starting with curiosity. We're not just teaching them a set of facts that they can regurgitate on a test at the end. Our job here is to spark some curiosity and get them to think. Then we want students to start making meaning and getting some understanding. And they're going to begin to explore different concepts that are related to the topics that we are teaching then it becomes to starting to interpret and analyze what they're doing through the explain. They're making meaning. So they're exploring, they're reading things, but then we don't stop there. 
we then get them to be able to explain and use their voice and use different ways that they can explain their thinking to show us what they know. Then they're going to elaborate. And this is where we're going to start getting into some of the application pieces where we want students to then take what they've learned, understand what they've learned, and now elaborate and apply it to different concepts, making it a little bit bigger. And finally, evaluate. And we really want them to look at what they've learned, look at what they've read, look at what they have found out and evaluate what is happening, whether or not they have learned that skill, whether or not the thing that they have learned is what they need to do next and where they need to go next. That's really what we want to do. So if this is related to a unit in the whole process, so let's look at a unit of study for a topic that we might be covering in science. What does this actually look like in our units? What parts of our units are going to fit these stages? First, the engaged portion is clearly the getting started. This is the hook or this is the provocation. If we think about other subjects that we are also teaching, we want to hook our students and get them curious into what it is we're about to study. We don't want to give them all the answers at this point. We don't want to tell them all the information. We just want to give them a piece of the puzzle and get them to think about what the other pieces might begin to look like. The explore and explain sessions are where we are going to have lessons or where we're going to build that background knowledge. Inquiry doesn't necessarily need to just be a free-for-all where we say, hey guys, we're gonna learn about flight, go explore different concepts. That is not only what inquiry looks like, but we can still have lessons and activities that follow the interest and curiosity of our students that allow them to explore in a little bit more of a structured learning environment. Remember, we're talking about junior students here. We are transitioning these students into more independent thinkers. They're going from quite dependent to independent. And if they have very little experience, we need to start with where they are. Then we're going into the elaborate phase. Now, this is going to happen later in your learning when students have built up their background knowledge and understanding of the concepts that they're learning about, then they can begin to make connections with other concepts, make connections between different lessons, between a lesson one and a lesson two. They can see the interrelatedness of all of the concepts that they've been learning. And finally, the culminating activity allows them to think bigger and evaluate the impact that these have on different things. Many teachers, when they think of inquiry, think that this is the very limited definition that the teacher says, okay, everyone, we're learning about flight, or maybe not even that. Maybe the teacher just simply says, okay, we're doing science. What do you want to learn? And it's a complete free-for-all. That is certainly an aspect of inquiry, but it is not really the only inquiry that's going to be happening in your classroom. And it's definitely something that is done with students who have a wealth of experience in this type of learning. If you have students that have never used this, if you have students that have typically only ever learned in a very traditional form of classroom where the teacher is in control of every aspect of learning, you need to start small and we can't just jump here. I love this visual because it really helps us to understand that inquiry is a process. Think about swimming and it's such a great analogy. We don't simply learn how to swim by jumping into the deep end and figuring it out on our own. We often take it slow. In this image, there are four different levels of inquiry. They are all inquiry. 
but we have to slowly transition our students from structured to a more free inquiry. And for some students, they might stick around a controlled or guided inquiry. In fact, I often will recommend that most junior classrooms are probably going to work around a controlled or guided inquiry model in a junior classroom. When I look at this model, it tells me that inquiry is really for everyone. Everyone is in the pool and you can modify and accommodate for those because they, you can provide more structure and support for some while allowing others to journey further and further into the deep end. Notice the role of the teacher as we start structuring everything and supporting our students because that's what they need at the, at the beginning stages of their inquiry journey, but it's also about our inquiry journey. And we slowly move ourselves further and further away from the person who is controlling every aspect of learning. And we move from being in the pool to guiding on the side. And really, this is the goal that we need to have for ourselves because when we're the guide on the side, that that's where we find some balance in terms of our prep and planning. So think about where you currently are now and what teaching and learning looks like in your classroom. Think about what the next logical step is for you in your inquiry process. As long as you're in the same building, as long as you're somewhere near the pool, you are starting step one of your inquiry journey. And remember, we don't all jump in the deep end. The deep end is something we work our way up to when our skills and when our confidence, both the students and the teacher, get there. So how do we start our unit off in the right way? Well, we start by engaging. I am a big fan and proponent of using Wonderwalls and engaging activities through Wonderwall types of conversations. A wonder wall, same one you see me on the wall behind me, is a way to elicit wonder by presenting students with clues or prompts, but definitely not the whole story, that will get students thinking and questioning, why did she put these things, why did she put these pictures here, how are they related, what are they about, why are they here, mixing up a different way of getting students to think getting them to ask questions about the pictures, tell you what they're wondering, explore their curiosity. Kids are naturally curious. So this is a great activity to harness that. And we're going to guide them, use the questioning and thinking that comes up in this type of activity to help us guide them through the learning and continually connect ideas with what they're learning with their own wonderings. We can use pictures that are related in our Wonderwall activities. We can use pictures that are related to the key concepts presented in the curriculum. This is not just always a free-for-all. There is still some thinking and planning behind the scenes that a teacher can do to systematically choose the images, phrases, and words, and real objects that they're putting in front of their students. Ones that will elicit questions that are specifically tied to curriculum expectations. In the picture you see on the slide here, this is a Wonderwall activity that I did with my students clearly before COVID. And I simply put the words and pictures on the ground and had them pick them up, explore, talk about them, share their thinking, get them to see what was related. We tried to group them, ask questions, had lots of really rich discussions, and it was all pre-planned and planted to relate to the topics that I was required to cover by the curriculum. Now, how do we take the rest of the unit 
and make that learning interactive. Well, this is what we want to avoid. So for so many times that I can think of when I was first started teaching, before I really learned about inquiry, my science units really started like this. I would provide my students something to read, and then I would provide them a worksheet that they could simply tell me the answers about what was in the question. However, this isn't really hands-on or interactive. And this is a very passive type of teaching where we are asking students to simply read and answer questions. Students can quickly learn that they don't actually have to remember the content in here, that they can figure out the clues that will answer the questions because the questions are in the reading. So they can just kind of hack their way to an answer. Teachers, we really like these because it's simple. We can collect that worksheet, we can mark it, and we get a mark for our students but are they actually learning it? If our goal is to teach them, if our goal is to engage them, then we want to try something different. Problematic with this as well is it's very limited and not very accessible. If you have students who are ELLs or you have struggling readers, this is going to be a task that's gonna be very difficult to differentiate. However, when we provide our students with interactive activities that don't necessarily have all of the answers. So we don't simply just provide them with a reading that has all of the answers that they can just regurgitate, but they have to search and find for the answers in multiple different sources, whether they have to use hands-on experiments and actually see things, or they have to, in this example, make a life-size human model where they are the blood cells jumping through the heart. This interactive activity actually gets them to understand how blood is pumped through the heart because they are actually the blood that gets pumped through the heart. This is an activity that allows students to experience how a heart works. Now, this is accessible because it doesn't matter if English is not your first language. It doesn't matter that your reading level is not at grade five level. You can jump through hula hoops. You can move through those hula hoops and experience the different chambers of the heart and understand that after it leaves the heart, it goes to the lungs and picks up the oxygen, then goes to the body, comes back into the heart. You can see that whole process because you feel it and you experience it. You can understand the different components of the blood because you've actually felt representations of the different pieces and put them together. Even though you can't always see the plasma that is yellow inside red blood, you can remember that it's there because you added yellow water into that blood. Students can't typically see what's in a blood in a regular junior classroom. We're not generally equipped with microscopes that we can investigate that, but this is a real life way that students can see what is happening in there. And it's not always reliant on them simply reading and regurgitating facts and information. We want students to be able to explore their learning and see and make connections. We can have them look at those pictures and answer the questions using their own words. It's not that the answers are in there that they're regurgitating and copying out, but they are developing their understanding and they're still recording it. So we still have a product that we can mark. However, the answers are their own. They're not just something that they are just copying out of a reading. We can start with student questions. This can be the area that we are able to really jump in and get our students to see 
what is happening in the learning. We can let the questions they ask in that Wonderwall activity guide us and let them prompt the question they're trying to answer. Yes, we can still have activities. We can still have a plan that we can follow, but their questions can be the purpose as to why we are doing that lesson or activity. We're using their voice and their questions to help guide why we're doing the lesson instead of just arbitrarily saying, this is next, this is next, this is next. We can also look, in for, look for common questions. Yes, students might have lots of different questions, but we can take those questions, group them together, and look for common themes so that we can still use a more structured inquiry with our whole group. And we can also not give them the answers, but let them explore and find the answers. Make it just a little bit more difficult and a little less passive. We also want them to do more exploring of their learning. We can start with a problem using examples such as escape rooms or puzzles that they have to solve where the answer isn't always super clear. We can start with the problem. We can structure our lessons in reverse order where we start with the goal. What is that we want them to know by the end? And we can say, okay, by the end of today's lesson, I want you to understand the different classifications of the Chordata in the animal kingdom. And we can start with that. That's what we're starting with, the end. What we want them to know at the end, we're going to tell them right at the beginning. By the end of this lesson, this is what you need to know. And then we can start with that, and then we can ask them to figure out how to get there. We can give them the tools, but don't necessarily tell them how they're going to go about learning that. We can allow them to learn it in different ways and using their ideas and their voice and choice in these lessons to get them there. And I know that sometimes that might sound scary, but remember, we're providing a structure and a framework. We're just not simply saying, read this, give me the answer. We can also allow them to construct their own learning based on experiences. So we can gamify the learning. We can, instead of there certainly is still reading, but we can make it a game. We can allow them to think of the concepts and have them play with those concepts and really try to intrinsically understand them in a fun and engaging way. We don't necessarily have to tell them all of the answers. We can let them figure it out and we can let them struggle just a little bit. We don't want to give them all of the information at first, but we definitely do want them to do some figuring out on their own. And we don't want to draw conclusions for them, but we want to prompt them and guide them to making those conclusions. We don't want to just tell them the answers. We want to kind of prompt them to figure out that answer on their own or to come up with it on their own. The fourth is we really want to look at hands-on learning. We want to make sure that we provide our students with opportunities to get dirty or get messy or really dig into the learning. Science theories are hard, especially hard for junior students. And it's really hard if we only rely on the reading and we don't rely on the experiences. So we want to give our students opportunities as much as possible for hands-on learning. We want to make sure that hands-on learning is accessible. If we are looking at the previous picture with paper airplanes and we're talking about our grade six flight, then pretty much most of our students can make a paper airplane, which instead of just reading about the flight, 
we can get them to do something. It makes it more accessible for the wider variety of students. They can have a task. If they're building bridges, they can glue popsicle sticks together. We can apply the science learning that they have learned to now building the popsicle sticks. They can contribute to those conversations because it's more hands-on learning. And we know that experiential learning and hands-on learning is good for all students, not just for some. We can also make it interactive and allow different modalities to get our students to share what they know. We can make sure that they are talking, accountable talk, that it's not just always written answers are not the only way that we can accept understanding or accept pieces of assessment from our students. Engaging hands-on activities are always engaging and it means when things are engaging we're dealing less with classroom management issues because our students are invested when they understand that it is them that is guiding the learning it is their interests their pieces of questions their curiosity they understand the why they are participating in the construction of their knowledge and the direction that you are going they have ownership over the learning. When your students have ownership over the learning, they are engaged and invested in what it is you are doing in your classroom, which makes classroom management so much easier. For sure, when you're doing hands-on and fun activities, you sometimes have to put a lid on some of the excitement and you have to kind of keep things safe and as calm as you can, but sometimes it's much easier to deal with the excitement and to deal with that than it is to deal with the work refusals or the acting out as a cover for why they can't do the other activities such as the worksheet that you have for them. We also want our students to discover the answers. So we don't want to just tell them how the heart works, but we want to say, okay, you're gonna go from hoop A to hoop B to hoop C. Now tell me, what is this actually replicating? How can you take what you've just done and explain to me how the heart works and how the heart pumps blood? We can just have them discover through their hands-on activities how things work and that we can make that really practical. We can take this really complex theory that they learn still in like medical school or they learn in university and we can make it really simple and practical through them through hands-on experiments. It's also relatable because the students can remember. They can remember that activity. When we are assessing their knowledge, they remember those experiences. If you think back to your own schooling, try to remember some worksheets you did. Now try to remember something fun you did. You probably can name more really engaging, fun activities that you loved doing in your own experience as a student. You can probably name and still remember them years and years and years later than you ever can just, oh, I remember when my teacher gave me that workbook that I had to work through. So what are some ways that we can make complex ideas real? Well, if we're looking at how we understand what's in our blood, we can make it. If we are trying to understand gear ratios, which is complex, we can get them to play around with gears, Lego gears, and see what happens when we go from a big gear to a small gear and a small gear to a big gear, making windmills and see which gear ratio moves that windmill faster, which gear ratio moves the windmill slower. Instead of just having them read about gear ratios, test it figure it out and then make knowledge and learning happen. Understanding tension and compression is a pretty complex topic. 
So why not hand them some textbooks and have them actually see how tension and compression impact a structure when it's being built and carrying a weight. Found objects, no prep, and really engaging. Or you're trying to get students to see the weight of air. This is a really difficult concept because they can't see air. So they don't really understand that air actually does have weight because they don't feel it. They move around air all the time, but it's a really difficult concept for them to see. So why not make an air scale and understand with some balloons that when we remove the air out of one of those balloons, we all of a sudden see that the scale becomes unbalanced. Well, we know things about scales that when they're unbalanced, one side weighs more than the other. So they can see how much air weighs and they have a practical example to demonstrate that concept. And finally, what's more fun than seeing how light travels than building a light tunnel and getting in underneath there and actually bending light and seeing how light moves through a tunnel in a straight line with some mirrors. When my students finished building this, we covered it with a big sheet. They all stuck their heads underneath it and tried to bend light around a corner. Now, we want to transition our students from passive to active learners. We want them not just to sit and absorb like sponges the learning that is presented to them, but we actually want our students to construct that learning and take an active role in that learning. Passive learning happens where the teacher is the boss in the classroom, where memorization is valued by the teacher and the students. Students that can memorize things well, do well. Where the classroom itself is test-centric, where we always end the learning with a test, and that's not necessarily always what needs to happen. And then we have lecture style, where we are having our students with a lecture or we are presenting information to them where we are talking at them and we are saying, hey, this is what you need to learn and this is what we need to do. Passive learners are often learners that are in a teacher-led or teacher-controlled classroom where they are the ones doing all of the decision-making. When teachers are doing all of the work, and all of the control that we're doing all of the work. We're doing more work than our students, which contributes to why we have lots of prep, lots of marking. One of the reasons I think we should really avoid passive learning is because it does require more prep. It does require more time planning and marking of products because they have so much more papers that we need to take home and mark. There's less opportunities for conversation and observation, which we know those three pieces should be a balance of the, when we're triangulating our data collection, we should have opportunities for conversations, observations, and products. However, in a passive learning environment, we often have an unbalanced tendency to have way more paper-based marking products, and we have far less observations and conversations. Now, if we're having an active classroom, this is where we have our students taking more control of their learning. This does not mean they're taking 100% of the control, but it does mean that they're taking more control over their learning. We want students to be able to make choices on how they will learn. Not every student in our classroom needs to 
get to the same goal the same way. Some students need to have lots of conversations to learn the concepts. Some students can just learn it by simply reading and understanding. And some students need to learn through doing and activities. If we have all of those different things, if we have students understanding their learning styles, understanding how they best learn and what their strengths are as students, and they're active in contributing to how we are learning, then they are able to be more successful. We can have more students successful. And when they are an active participant in how they are going to learn, then we can that is a universal design because what's good for some is going to be good for all of them. We also want students to be able to choose input on where they are going to learn even in our classroom. We know that learning is collaborative and the expert in the classroom is not just the teacher, but we can rely on other students to learn different pieces and become experts themselves and rely on a community of knowledge in our classroom to learn from each other. And it also means the teacher is a guide or the observer. Now, when we remove the teacher out of the center of all of the learning and we move ourselves into the students are doing lots of learning and the teacher's doing lots of observing, automatically what happens is the teacher becomes more of the observer, which means we can all of a sudden collect far more observational and conversational data. Now, this kind of data is collected in the moment, so it reduces our marking load. It means if we're marking in the moment, we're marking during instructional time, we're taking less home to mark. Now, why it's actually easier for us? Because there is a shared workload. Some of the planning is actually done with the students. You can ask them when it's time for their culminating project, tell me what you want to do. How would you like to show a culminating project? So many times we think it's our responsibility as teachers to come up with the culminating project that we design A, B, C, and D, but we don't have to in an inquiry-based classroom with universal design. We simply give our students targets of things we want them to be able to tell us at the end of their project. I want you to be able to tell me how the human circulatory system works and you tell me how you're going to do that. Some students might decide that they want to make a model to show you. Other students might want to make a poster. Some students might just want to hop on a video recording and, and just share their video recording where they're explaining it to you, or they're showing you with pictures and draw it out. They might write a story. There are so many different ways that students can demonstrate their knowledge. It doesn't have to be the same way. So instead of planning, for three or four hours, this amazing culminating activity that you're gonna do and present to your class and then they're gonna work through in class. Instead, just show up in class and say, this is the expectations that you need to be able to show me when we're done our projects. Now you tell me how you're going to do your project. All of a sudden, they plan the steps, they plan the path, and you're simply coaching and guiding them along the way. And all that time, you're observing them and you're collecting data. The more observation and conversational marking that is happening in the moment means there's less marking happening at home for you, the teacher, which means you get a little bit of your free time back. It also means that student choice means less prep for you. If the students have more variety in what they're doing, 
they can help design what that looks like. And those conversations can happen in class during instructional time. So it means you're less reliant always on paper-based activities because you don't need to photocopy everything because if we can spend less time at the photocopier, then that means we have less prep. And because there's more flexibility and more choice on the part of the students and you have more open-ended tasks that focus on skills instead of on products, it means it's easier to differentiate and meet the needs of the variety of learners that are in your classroom. And this is why inquiry-based learning is more accessible for more students. It's because you have more choice and variety so that students can work to their strengths and can compensate for their needs, but they can still make the learning accessible and they can still have some success at their independent level of achievement. So how do you go about planning your unit? Well, I have a quick three-step strategy that I want to walk you through with how you're going to plan out your inquiry unit because Although we are embedding student choice, although we are making sure that there is a lot of inquiry-based activities and we're following our students' leads, the reality is, is that most of us are going to be doing structured or guided inquiries, which means we still need to have the resources and activities to build that background knowledge so that our students can elaborate and evaluate what they're doing and the learning that's happening. We still have some structure, so we want there to be lessons and activities and experiences that our students go through that use an inquiry discovery model, but we want to make sure that we're not just going from repetitive over and over activities. So three-step unit planning includes sticky notes. So you need First step is I want you to dig into that curriculum. Now, the problem with the curriculum is it's very teacher speak and there's a lot of extra detail that we can completely eliminate and really get down to this simple and basic. We often get really overwhelmed when we look at the curriculum because not only is there an expectation, but there's also guiding questions and prompts and suggestions and there's all of this stuff. And we often see it and think, okay, all of those guiding questions and prompts, I have to cover all of them. The expectation is the very basic skill that your students are going to need. That's what we need to be focusing on. And all of those guiding questions and prompts are just that, suggestions to get you thinking of different types of activities that you can use. So when we eliminate all of that and we go right into the basic expectation, First thing you're going to do is you're going to look at the curriculum. Now, it's generally split up into three different categories. The first section, I know for the science curriculum here in Ontario, the first section is really the thinking and application section. This is going to move into our evaluate period, the elaborate and evaluate period in our units. We're going to leave that off right now because we're just looking at planning the basic background knowledge expectations because the other pieces are going to be a lot more student involved. So these background pieces. Section two in the Ontario Science Curriculum is your skills activities, things like safety and collaboration and inquiry skills. We're really focused right here on the understanding and knowledge section, which in this example that you see here is the 3.0 section, understanding basic concepts. This is where we're going to start with our unit planning. 
we're going to take each one of these expectations. In this example, there are eight 3.0 expectations, and we're gonna take one large sticky note. And in our own words, we're gonna paraphrase what that says, not in a student-friendly language, but just for ourselves. We're gonna paraphrase what exactly the students need to know. We're gonna write out each one of those eight expectations on a different sticky note only on the first half because you're going to need the bottom half for something else. Then you're going to use the brainstorming, unit plan brainstorming and unit plan lesson outline that I am going to email you at the end of this webinar. So because you're still here, you're going to get that email sent to you with this brainstorming organizer. Now the beauty of this organizer is that it gets you to think your creative juices flowing of different types of activities that you can use so that you don't find yourself falling into that rut and that you can plan inquiry type activities for your students to engage in where they can discover the learning and make sense of it. So you're going to grab that brainstorming page and take one of the sticky notes that you wrote out and you're going to come up with two to three ideas that fit into one of the eight different categories of activities. You're just going to come up with whatever crazy harebrained idea you have. You are not going to limit yourself to what might not be possible or what COVID restrictions you might have right now, you're just going to get super creative and think if I had unlimited funds, unlimited resources, and don't think of necessarily about your kids, just think if I could plan the most fun and engaging activity, what would I put down? There are no wrong answers here. Just brainstorm different activities that you could do with your students. And you're going to do that for each of those eight sticky notes that you came up. Now you want to make sure that by the end of this session, step two, that you have a balance in all eight of those boxes. So you're going to want hands-on activities, mini inquiries, problem solving, collaborative activities, simulations or games, active learning, some knowledge building tasks, and also some traditional model lessons because there's definitely still a place where those need to happen. And then finally, we can look at the different types of activities that you can come up with. Number one, you can take an expectation and turn it into a puzzle or a game that students need to solve. You can look at problems and solutions and have students think of what the problem is and what a possible solution could be. You can use a mystery or escape room type activities to get students to put difficult concepts together. You can have them make or craft something that is a model of a concept that you're teaching. You can use inside outside circles to have them collaborating and really engaged in accountable talk. You can use sorting and organizing activities to take complex ideas and make them really more concrete and see how the interrelatedness of the different concepts are related to different topics. Pop quiz. This doesn't mean you're going to give them a pop quiz, but pop quiz is a great one for students to work collaboratively with a partner to talk to them and get them to talk about different concepts where they give a pop quiz to a partner. Then jigsaw is a great research activity which allows them to be the leader and the expert on a certain topic because they go out and research one aspect and then bring it back to the group and discuss. Debate, having them look at two sides of an issue, really gets them engaged because nothing is more fun for junior students than arguing. I love when we can take physical models and we can take our science and really get students to become the science. When you're talking about matter and you're looking at students being solids, liquids, and gases, what is more fun than them actually acting like a solid, a liquid, and a gas? 
getting them to build and construct things, which they're building something collaboratively together, where they're building a large bridge or they're building a tower or even a light tunnel to see how light travels. And finally, using experiments where they have to hypothesize and test and record observations. Step three, after all of your creative ideas, this is where you kind of have to get a bit more realistic and look at this list and try to pick the activities that are feasible for you to do. What makes you most excited and how can you get it done? How can you make that become a reality? You're going to pick your favorite ideas for each one of the expectations. You're going to pick up your sticky note again and you're going to look at your brainstorming page and you're going to pick one of the activities and attach it to that expectation and write it on the bottom half of that sticky note. Then once all of those sticky notes have an activity and an expectation, you're simply going to lay out those sticky notes in a logical order from beginning to end. And then you have the lessons and the scope and sequence of what you're going to do for your unit. And you're going to then take the lesson outline that I provided you and simply just record your outline in a unit plan format. Now, this simply gives you, the teacher, the structure you crave to be able to have a unit ready to go. When you're implementing it with your classroom, this is not necessarily set in stone that you must do it in this order or you must do all of these activities. But this gives you that back pocket resources to get you to say, I know I'm going to be able to accomplish this. I have great activities. I can build student background knowledge. I can use an inquiry perspective in each one of these lessons so that I am not simply just telling them all the answers and getting them to regurgitate, but in getting them to explore and evaluate and elaborate on their learning. So why are we doing this workshop? Well, number one, I don't want you to be bored in your science classroom. I don't want you to be uninspired and I definitely do not want you to feel lost with where you're going. I want you to know that there is a path that you can follow that will allow you to plan and level up your science lessons in your classroom that can keep your students engaged, keep learning happening, and actually accomplish real learning. I don't want science to be something you or your students dread, and I definitely don't want you taking hours and hours of time in your evening during your free time that you can be spending with your family to spend that all prepping and planning for every aspect of your classroom. If you're bored, I want you to try something that you have learned in this workshop to make you get out of that rut that you might be feeling in. Use the brainstorming page to allow you to get those creative juices flowing. I don't want you to be uninspired. If you want even more ideas of different things that you can do in your classroom, if you want more inspiration, you can always, when the webinar is on, over, you can always go to my website at www.madlylearning.com or you can connect with me on any social media platform at Madly Learning. And I definitely don't want you to be lost because if you don't know where to start, then I want to help you. I want to help you by starting to give you that place to start. And it's my hope that this workshop has at least given you some ideas of how you can level up your science lessons and make them more engaging and fun for you and your students. So it really comes down to you having, you really have two options. Number one, you can continue to feel stuck or you can find a better way to accomplish engaging activities in your classroom without always resorting to worksheets. What I want to tell you, I'm not special. 
This is just experience. My own circumstances at home with my family have meant I've had to find better and easier ways. I have already been down this burnout road where I feel stuck and uninspired and I feel like some days the easier thing is to just give them a worksheet and have them do it. But it never works out. I'm overwhelmed with the amount of prep. I'm overwhelmed with the amount of marking and I didn't want to do it anymore. I created my own units. I started from scratch and it takes me over 160 hours to develop each and every unit. But I don't want you to do that. So I want to tell you that I have all of my completed science units that I've already spent 160 hours putting together that are inquiry based, that our that are interactive and engaging for students, use hands-on activities, are accessible and universal design ready. You can grab all of my science units for grade four, grade five, and grade six on Teachers Pay Teachers. And to help you out, I'm putting them on sale from now until Wednesday. They are 20% off because I really do believe that you deserve to save your prepping and planning time yourself. Yes, you can totally do it yourself and it's going to be an amazing experience. But if you would rather just move forward and get even more of your time and planning back, let me do that hard work for you. And these are all of the different science resources that I have ready to go in my store for you. Science resources are available for grade four, grade five, and now grade six. As of today, grade six, all four science strands of the Ontario curriculum for grade six are ready to go. They're brand new and ready for you. So there is a cost to this because it does take a tremendous amount of time for me to put these together and have them professionally edited and designed and ready for you so that they are of the utmost quality for your classroom. Single grade units are around 15 to $20. Now, because they're on Teachers Pay Teachers, they are in USD. Single grade units, 15 to $20. And split grade units between $24 and $32, depending on the complexity of the unit. And again, they come for all the grade four, the grade five, and the grade six resources. So those are the covers that you're looking for. There's also split grade units for all of the four or five. And there's one right now for the five, six, and more coming soon. But if you know you're going to be teaching all next year, you already know what grade you're teaching, or you have a pretty good idea, or you have a few more that you want to get this year, you can bundle these all together and it saves you about 10%. On top of the 20% that's already, I'm discounting it for the next three days, bundling it saves you even more. So every unit includes lesson plans for the teacher. It includes all of the activity pages that students need and they're interactive and games and experiences that your students can be engaged in. Not only that, but any opportunities for research, you're not left in the lurch. I've curated an entire section of online research materials as well as research that's provided in the units. So if you don't have access to online tools, there's also research you can access within the unit itself. There's also culminating projects that include structured inquiry booklets that will plan students through the inquiry journey. It's not one activity for each student. There is a lot of student voice and choice because it's an inquiry unit, but we do have some structure so they're not left all alone to figure it out on their own. It also includes assessment pages, rubrics, checklists, exit cards, and assessment guides that will guide you through what to be observing and what kind of conversations to be having with your students and what you can be recording. Here are some things that other teachers are saying because they've already walked this path. 
They purchase the bundle of units to complement the grade four, and they also have it year after year when they are switched from four to a four or five. They have used them, they're amazing. They accompany resources and support for teachers. I'm feeling much more confident that I can deliver an interesting program that will allow my students to investigate and learn with growing independence. Now, so many teachers are saying, sure, I can do it myself. You absolutely can do it yourself. There is nothing stopping you from doing this yourself. You can do it. However, it does take time to put a unit together if you are looking at the same level of quality. If you want to do more than just a Microsoft Word activity, that does take a lot more time. And the other objection I hear often is I can't justify the cost. Well, I want you to think about that 160 hours. And it works out that that is $6,000. If we were to look at how much a teacher makes hourly, so if I were to pay you to make this unit, you would earn at your teacher's salary about $6,000 to create this unit. And instead, it's going to cost you about a week's worth of coffee to purchase the unit and save you all of that time. The value that you get for a small investment, which it is, is definitely going to save you that time. And I will often be told they are more expensive than some other things that you may find. But these are not workbooks or worksheets. They are not something that I just pumped out really quickly. They're not read and response activities that can be done simply and easily. These are inquiry projects that are interactive and engaging. There has been a tremendous amount of thought put into each one of the activities to make it applicable to not just my own classroom, but to every classroom that is out there. These are inquiry-based resources that are at a published quality. And sometimes that comes at a higher cost. We have all been on TPT where it is 8.50 in the morning, school starts in five minutes, and all of a sudden we lost our prep and now we need to come up with something. And we've gone ahead and bought the cheapest thing that we can find on TPT and open it up and realize half of it, we can't even be using it. It's not really written that it's appropriate for kids. It's like they've never taught kids before. When you buy a Madly Learning unit, you are buying a unit from teachers that have been in the classroom. We have used these materials in our own rooms and we understand how kids at this age level work. And this is why teachers are saying things like, it's incredible, so much detail, includes things like how to set up lesson plans, curriculum connections, and everything you need for the prep and guides you through that learning. Your students will have everything. They're user-friendly, including all of the visuals. Started by purchasing one, and then when you love it, upgrade to the bundle. So when you're ready to save yourself the time and get them on sale, I want you to go to www.madlylearning.com forward slash shop store, and you're going to head to my TPT store here. And then you're going to select the resources that you need by simply scrolling down. And if for some reason you cannot find what you need, there are search tools that you can use. There is a store search button here on the right, and there's also custom categories. So when you're looking specifically for science, you can select the science category here, and all of the science units will pop up. Now, don't forget to save yourself some additional funds by upgrading to the bundle because you can get more for less. So when you are ready, you can head on over to www.madlylearning.com forward slash shops. Thank you for listening.
listening to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay. Join me on www.madlylearning.com for more information on all things teaching in the junior grades. Don't forget, you can always catch this show on the Madly Learning YouTube channel. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Madly Learning.